Summit, California, yeah. Born and raised our DNA. Laugh and cry to what we say. We hit you with that wordplay. Four, zero, five, three. What episode are we on? D, they feeling like baby zombies. All dressed in Abercrombie. SoCal DNA coming in live. Eight o'clock on a Wednesday night. COVID got you sitting inside. Why not sip one and free your mind? Cheap thrills, popping pills, stat cash, spend it fast. Listen to all of those lies as Arjun act like he's surprised. surprised. SoCal DNA podcast today. Now, there's been a lot of champions this past year. We have, of course, from the PGA Tour, the oldest champion, 50-year-old Phil Mickelson. Shout out to him. We have, of course, last year's NBA champion, none other than LeBron James and the LA Lakers. But none of those guys, neither of those two guys compare to the champion of champions we have today on this very special episode of the SoCal DNA Podcast. And of course, I'm talking about the SoCal Classic 2021 Fantasy Basketball Champion, none other than the great, illustrious, legendary, and let me stress this hard, super creative, Derek Zhang. Welcome to the show, Derek. How are you? Wow, thanks, Arjun. That, that's an... That's an intro I've never had before. Let's just say that. <laughs> it's an intro you should have every day of your life, uh, to be quite honest. Yeah. Um, you know, without further ado, of course, let me kind of break it down for the audience. Uh, <clears throat> Derek and I used to work together uh, at a company called Synaptics. Um, we had great, great conversations. He would uh, he oftentimes play ball with me after work. He would kick my ass, block off whoa, my shots. Whoa, no, 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 no. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot from him. He's a very, very solid, outstanding individual. And I kept in touch with him, even as I moved on from Synaptics. And uh, he's been kind enough to participate in my fantasy basketball league that I run every year. And he's fairly new at it. I think, Derek, is this your second year, right? Yeah, this is the second year in your league. Um, yeah. yeah. But I've been, I've been doing it for a couple of years now. So yeah, not, not that new. Not that right. much of a new. That's right. That's right. Actually, he's been a, a veteran of the fantasy sports for sure for quite some time in my league only two years but he brings all that veteran wisdom with him and he certainly made a big splash i knew he was something special not even from this fantasy basketball stuff but even prior to that i think we had this playoff bracket challenge from like a year ago or two years ago yeah i think it was two years ago before the bubble yeah it was when uh Kawhi leonard won i, I feel like that's, that's yeah i was i was all the way on toronto I remember that now, yeah. Man, that was that was a wild run that you had. I think you were the only one that picked them too, uh, to go like almost all the way, or, or maybe you did pick them all the way. And from that point forward, I knew okay, since he won that competition, I gotta make sure he joins the fantasy basketball league because he can bring a lot of competition that, quite honestly, we've been lacking. Um, you'll probably notice by now, by the clarity of this conversation and the lack of low IQ that's been going on so far, <laughs> that one person is missing, one very critical component of the SoCal DNA is missing today. And that is none other than my co-host, my usual co-host, Don Balanai. Now, Don is uh, preoccupied at the moment. He's uh, busy off in the world doing interesting things, I imagine, this weekend. So we decided to temporarily, very temporarily, replace one D with another D, a more competitive D, a more, if I would say, intellectual D. So the conversations you're about to hear today on the SoCal DNA podcast will be like none other 
it will be very high level. It will be very engaging and hopefully entertaining for the masses. But essentially, I'm glad that Derek is on board with this fantasy basketball league of mine. He kicked all of our asses this past season. He uh, even had an upset, I believe, in the playoffs. I mean, it was him against you know one of my good buddies, uh, Leroy, who might be listening in on this podcast later on. He wasn't too happy, by the way, Derek, when he found out that he was going to lose this matchup against you. He was Yeah. <laughs> I do feel bad because, you know, it was it was two three-pointers because we do categories, right? And mm. I don't know how it happened, and it just happened where I streamed in one guy who luckily hit, like, two threes, mm. and that's how much I won by, so... I do kind of feel bad for him. I felt bad after I won. I was like, damn, it doesn't, you know, when it feels right, but it also feels wrong at the same time. It, it was one of those moments where I was, I was happy to win, but also felt bad for, you know, my, my opponent. That mm. But I mean, sometimes, you know, as humble champions that you are, and I was at one point in my life, I mean, I forget last time I won. Sometimes we say these things, but in our heart of hearts, we're so fucking proud of ourselves for finally winning a championship. So in reality, Derek, in, in your truth, do you really feel bad for Leroy, or are you just so happy that you won? I mean, I felt bad for like a good hour. <laughs> then I moved Solid. on. Solid. Yeah, then I moved on to like, okay, I gotta prep. I gotta, I gotta win now, because you know, Mm. that's what i'm going for i'm going for the chip so yeah that hour lasted and i i moved on pretty quickly there sorry you go. sorry there you go. but you know <laughs> i i'm i'm glad that uh you also invited me to participate in your league derek of course is not just a participant in fantasy basketball leagues he runs his own league as well and might i say he's one of the best commissioners that i know i've come across many league commissions but he he knows what he's doing his uh, constituents respect him immensely, and, and he manages to find, like, what, 10 or 12 people every single year, which is not easy nowadays. It's kind of hard. Yeah, it's can... very hard. It's, yeah. I don't know why it gets harder every year, but finding people who... Because there's so many people who like, the, who like basketball, right? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. for some reason, finding someone who is willing to participate in this, you know, like, five, six-month-long <laughs> league is, is so much work. It is, it is, and and I don't know, like, I know we both have different strategies when it comes to retaining our members. I tend to go on the individual route. Like, I like to reach out to people individually and kind of maybe talk them up a little bit and, and catch up on some other things, and then I'm like, hey, so, you know, it's about that time of year again. <laughs> and And not only that, I have the added kind of dubious honor, you could say, of saying, oh, also the buying is five dollars more this year than last year, I, I tend to I tend to pull that one off because in my mind, I don't know how you feel, Derek, but I think it's more meaningful, you know, if the buying is a little bit higher, maybe not every single year, but every two years or so, to make us feel more competitive, to make us more invested in the uh, actual challenge. Do you feel the same way? Do you try to, you know? raise the buy-in every now and then like like inflation or not really um i did in the past mm. you know um mm. the thing about my league uh most like there's a mixture of like people with jobs and people who are in school mm. so raising it kind of felt like disingenuous towards people who weren't earning that much money because for mm. us like yeah five five bucks um, or I mean, for those who are working, five bucks isn't too much of a big difference. Mm -hmm. So raising like 
throwing that out isn't for fun. Throwing using that five dollars for fun isn't a big deal. But for someone who doesn't have a job, you know, that's like half a meal now. You know, it's it can go five five bucks can do some damage to the wallet. So I try not to mix it up too much. Try to keep it fair, mm. and I I find that like lowering the buy-in also helps people come back because mm. you know like if you're if you've won yeah you know like you're more inclined to return because like hey i won like i can do it again right you're playing with house money at that point yeah. yeah but like those who are aren't necessarily doing so hot become more and more like unmotivated to rejoin mm. so i i find that keeping it consistent helps retain these players i i I actually like what you said right there because i was on the other end of that for fantasy football um i don't know if it's still going on it probably is um for my old workplace derek's current workplace in synaptics there was a reoccurring fantasy football league and the commissioner was usually jordan wilcox um it was him and and one of our colleagues jonathan ta he was part of it too several other people ketan was kind of on and off on it and uh i played for every year that i was there i played and don't get me wrong like whenever i compete in something especially these fantasy sports i try to pay attention i try to follow along and make all the right moves but i've never won any money in his league and the buy-in was kind of heavy, heavier than our league's buy-ins for sure. It was like 50 or $60 every year. And it started to get to a point, I think in my last year with them, I was just thinking, you know, why am I doing this? I lose every year. I don't even make the playoffs. And the buy-in just keeps getting a little bit more expensive. So at a certain point, I was just thinking, it's not worth it for me. I don't even watch these games. I'm not that much of a football fanatic as I am for basketball. I'm going to step away. And that decision was, I would say, for me, a good decision. I don't know about you, Derek, but do you feel like sometimes, maybe in the past you've done this, you're forced to pay a little bit more attention because of fantasy to certain numbers, to certain players that otherwise, when you're just enjoying the game, you wouldn't really care about? Oh, 100%. Like, I have to say, like, because of fantasy, I know more about the league overall, like, other teams, other players, what's going on. Because mm. I used to only legitimately care about the Lakers. Like, it was the Lakers, and then the other teams that I kept up with were, like, um, those the Lakers would face. Because, you know, like, mm-hmm. want to get a gist of who our competitors were. Sure. But now, you know, I know people on, the, like, the worst teams in the league. You know, I know their names. I know their roles. And it's... <laughs> It's kind of, it's nice, but at the same time, like for me to for me, they're just like stats in a box score. Mm. That's all I truly look at at the end of the day for fantasy. Mm. And I think you know, it, it definitely changes your perspective. I remember I was just like you before I started playing fantasy basketball back in high school. I I just loved the Lakers. I thought it was so much fun to watch Kobe every night. We didn't have the best team back then. Um, you know, this was Kobe. When he was like leading the league in scoring, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Shaq was gone. We didn't have Pau yet, and uh, you know I just loved watching that basketball action. One of my friends, when he invited me to play fantasy basketball, I didn't know what I was doing. Nobody really taught me anything. So you know what I did, and this is kind of embarrassing. I drafted all the Lakers I could find, and I didn't even get Kobe. 
So just imagine how bad my team was. I had like the Brian Cooks of the world, the Smush Parkers. Uh, I don't even know who else was on there. Chris Mim. I think I was oh, Chris happy. Mim. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was happy that I had Chris Mim on my team. Sasha, did you get Sasha by any I, chance? I got Sasha late. Yep, yep. I had nice. Sasha. But then uh, even I had like Javaris Crittenton. Do you remember him? Oh, I do. He was like one of our rookies. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I I liked him a little bit, but then he got caught up into some uh, gun charges later on with Gilbert Arenas on the Wizards, <laughs> yes. and his career never was the same after that. But that was something. It was something for sure. Um, but you know, it, it, it's kind of how it is. Like when you have to play this game or play fantasy in general, you are forced to learn more about different players, and in some ways, it is interesting. I guess you can appreciate certain characters out there that otherwise you wouldn't pay attention to but in the grand scheme of things it certainly changes the way we view the game um and speaking of viewing the game um it is kind of refreshing nowadays to finally see in the highlights that i watch or even some of the fourth quarters that i have the opportunity to watch fans being in the arena um it was kind of weird last year as much as i still appreciated the fact that the NBA went on during the COVID pandemic. And I mean, the pandemic's still going on, but it felt weird not having a single fan in attendance all of last season, even when the Lakers won the COVID championship. It didn't quite feel as special as it did back when I saw Kobe Powell, Lamar Odom, and Bynum do it back to back. So now now with the fans back in, how how does that feel for you? Is it kind of like refreshing to see live audiences again? I mean, I don't, really pay attention to the audience per mm. se mm. but it like but when like teams go on a run you hear the crowd it mm. does like also boost your morale or or you know you feel that impact of the crowd noise mm. right but i have to say you know the current recent events with fans you know it's kind of disheartening with the popcorn the the name calling mm. the spitting all of that is it's it's it sucks to see, I guess. That's the best way I can put it. You know, I, I'm really glad you segued into that. And that was a beautiful segue, much better than when, when Don does it or when even I do it. So I really appreciate that. Uh, out of all the incidents that have been going on with fan interactions in a negative light, which one do you think was the most flagrant? I would have to say the spitting for sure. Mm. Right? Like, mm. you just don't do that. It, mm. like... Even if it weren't a sport, like in a like a regular convert, like ready <laughs> regular setting, you wouldn't spit on someone. Like I understand, like I you know you've seen people, um, like throw waters in people's faces when they say something like terrible. So like pop, it's kind of like that with popcorn. I get, but you don't spit in some at someone. That's just like wrong. Do you think like spitting is the sign of like ultimate disrespect? Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what else you could do mm. that's, like, I wouldn't say it's passive, but it's not, like, you know, it's not, like, throwing a punch, like, or, like, a sucker punch. Mm. So, mm. and it, and it's, like, when when the spinning happen, happened with Rondo and Chris Paul, like, I think it was a year ago, actually, when Rondo was on the Lakers, um, when that happened, yeah, it yeah. it was just as bad, right? It was mm-hmm. like people were furious. So to see that happen again, like it it it's it sucks. I, I think especially more so in this case because 
you know, COVID's still going on. And, and oh, part, 100%. Yeah. Part of the reason why we wear masks and everything is to make sure that we're not breathing in the these, you know, the spittle, the particles, and we're not like uh, exposing our own spit, saliva, whatever it may be, through the air to other people. So if all of a sudden in that climate, in this pandemic environment, you have some guy from the second row, some New York Knicks fan, you know, maybe got a ticket from a buddy or maybe he paid his own, who knows, just thinking it's acceptable in a basketball game, a live basketball game to spit, not directly at a player, but over a first row of fans toward a player. I think that's just very, very ignorant of everything that's happening and it was just a bad move overall but yeah for sure but did you did you realize who was sitting in front of that particular fan during that game i didn't catch this initially but i heard about this on some radio show the next day 50 cent the rapper 50 yeah yeah, yeah. i think i did i saw like a comment on like that was 50 cent right above like right in front of him yeah and crazy and, and and apparently you know, 50 Cent was with some woman, I don't know who, and uh, the woman probably got hit a little bit with the spittle on on the way of the loogie going towards you. Yeah, Rhea. some secondhand, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> some, some, secondhand, some secondhand spit or whatever you may call it. And it, it just, it was a bad look for sure. Um, and, and of course, there's always going to be some rowdiness from the fans. And it's expected that during the playoffs... Emotions are heightened. Um, the vernacular, the uh, the rhetoric is more flagrant. It's more fiery, and it's one thing to just kind of spew expletives and and shout out things. But when you take it to a level of throwing popcorn, like in Russell Westbrook's situation, or spitting toward an active player, I think that definitely crosses the line. Do you agree with the punishments that were handed down? Lifetime bans. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. That's, it. I mean, it's hard to enforce to like to say, like, reject these people from all arenas. You know, I mean, the odds of them going to a different arena depends on you know where they are or um, how often you know how willingly or how much they love basketball. I guess, mm. but mm. it would be nice to see them banned from all arenas as well. Mm. Yeah, I mean. Uh... I think a global kind of NBA wide ban is not a bad idea. Um, it's just, I wonder if these things can actually be prevented. And I feel like the answer is no. I think as long as you have this kind of uh, proximity, which is a privilege, to be honest, for NBA fans, as opposed to, let's say, uh, football fans or even other sports, right? Because in NBA, when you're courtside, like that when you're near the tunnel like that you're pretty much within physical distance you could reach out and touch a player you could interact with a player you can hear um all the commentary all the smack talking all the things that doesn't show up on tv when you're there live sitting courtside you can hear all that and along with it you're afforded all these privileges but at the same time i think fans especially the rowdy ones Sometimes they get too into it. They feel like, oh, they can tell their boys later on, like, hey, I spit on Trey Young. Or, hey, you know, I pissed off Westbrook even more than he's already pissed off. I, I just think it's something that, you know, they'll always, um, you know, have the ability to do for better or for worse. But 
what, what can be done to try to prevent this? Do you think having more security there or, or pushing the courtside seats back a little bit, would any of those things help? That's hard, you know, like mm. never in my mind personally have I thought, oh, I, I should spit on this person right now. You know what I mean? Like, it's just not, it doesn't even come to my head. Yeah. Nor is like, nor should I like, I feel like, oh, I need to throw popcorn at this dude because I don't like him. Like I, that never happens. Mm. So I don't know. I think I don't know how much of it you know you can blame on liquid courage, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like whether it's just pure hatred, I don't know. Um, it's hard to say, you know, like because it's just mm. to me, it's just mind-boggling. Like a person would do that to begin with, because you paid money to be there, right? You you pay money to buy a ticket mm. to enjoy a a game. Right. That's what the NBA has. It really is in basketball. It's it's a form of entertainment. Mm. And just because these players are playing doesn't mean we can treat them however the heck we want. They're still people. You know, they have families. So, like, it's just like respect. I don't know. Like, to me, that it's like common sense not to spit at someone. Right. You would think all of that should be par for the course. But going back to what you said earlier about liquid courage, I think that's partly true. But also, I think in the moment when you're viewing these athletes, you're not viewing them as people. I'm not saying this is true for everybody when they watch the game, but I think for those individuals, the ones that throw popcorn, the ones that spit, they're kind of viewing the athletes as sheer entertainment. And maybe in the back of their minds, they're thinking, you know what, this is my chance. This is my opportunity to kind of get back at them if I don't like what they're doing. I'm not going to be this close before. Hey, maybe I'll be on camera. Maybe my buddies will be recording it. This will be a story to tell. I'll basically get some clout, whether it's on IG or Snapchat or whatever social media platform, by doing this. Maybe that's what's going through their heads some of the time. Uh, maybe they're not even thinking that far ahead. Maybe it's just some like visceral reaction. Like, oh, I don't like what's happening. I don't like this dude. I'm just going to do whatever I can from where I'm sitting, from where I'm standing, to make sure my displeasure is known. Even if that means, yes, there's a risk, I'm going to be kicked out. I'm just going to throw it. I'm going to, I'm going to shoot this loogie, I'm going to throw this popcorn, or I'm going to call somebody the N-word, or whatever it may be. And, and that's another thing that I wanted to ask you about as well. In the past, we've seen confrontations between the fans and players centered around the vocabulary that's been used. Um, remember back in Utah, there was a playoff situation, I believe, where Westbrook was like warming up near the fans or he was standing around near the fans and, and somebody was just curling or, or hurling rather all these expletives and, and saying really nasty things toward Westbrook. And eventually the fan got booted out and probably he was banned for life. Do you think that's harder to stop? Because I think you can't stop fans from saying that stuff. You can stop them from maybe throwing shit and, and spitting, but aren't fans always going to be rowdy and saying the wildest things, especially when the the enemy is blowing up for 50 points? Yeah, I think, you know, I guess this comes from, like, the age of internet, I guess, just where people are feel free to say whatever they want and, like, be keyboard warriors, but when they bring it to like a live stage mm. um it's hard to like really prevent that right because 
they think, oh, this person's not going to pay attention to me. I'm just a bystander in this huge crowd. They're not going to really figure out who I am. So I'm just going to hurl expeditives and hopefully they hear it, I guess. Mm. So they're kind of just like this, this one voice in the crowd. Or maybe, you know, someone else is also saying other things at the same time and just throw words at people. Um, mm. You can't really stop that, right? You can't just say, put a sign up and say, don't curse. And, like, that doesn't stop anyone. So I'm not too sure, you know? Like, mm. it's, to me, it, it's just having the respect towards the player as, like, as a person. Just, like, these guys are just, these guys are there because they're talented as hell. Yeah. Like, Absolutely. Not because, you know, like you don't get just because they're playing a sport doesn't mean you can treat them any any differently mm. or should treat them any differently. Like they're people and that's all there is to it, at least in my eyes. I, I respect the way you look at the game. And I think that is the right way to look at it. Um, I, I think the NBA, the most they can do is just warn the fans. And like you said, the fans that are really going to talk shit, they don't care about the warnings. They don't care about the signs. They don't care about the respect. But I would argue that for the most part, maybe 95% of the audience, they are respectful. They do appreciate the immense talent that's on the floor, like you and I do. But sometimes <clears throat> these players that we respect for their talent, sometimes they say things that are kind of interesting about current events, about social issues, and especially issues that pertain to other countries as well. And what I'm segueing into here actually starts with a recent article I read where John Cena, a very famous WWE wrestler, um, you know, he's been wrestling for many years, but now he's more of a movie star, I would say. I think he's been on some TV shows. He's hosting Wipeout or whatever. Um, in some context, he referred to the country of Taiwan as a country, which I believe it is. But when China, when China heard about this, they were not too pleased. And that kind of caused some backlash uh, from the Chinese media, from Chinese audiences about John Cena's words regarding Taiwan. And eventually that forced um, John Cena to issue an apology and then shower China with praise, almost profusely, kind of saying, oh, China's great. You know, I made a mistake. You know, sorry about that. And that made me think, okay, this isn't the first time we've heard about this. We've also heard this from, I guess in a different vein, LeBron James. LeBron James, of course, he is well known to be a champion for a lot of social issues, especially domestic social issues, and rightfully so. I think he does a great job of bringing attention to these things. But he's also known to be silent on other issues. Silent to the point of maybe willful ignorance, some might say. And it's specifically about China and some of the injustices that, you know, are perceived to be happening over there. Um, so what I wanted to ask you, uh, do you think it's right for these high-profile celebrities, these sports celebrities, let's say, like a LeBron James, like a John Cena, and even James Harden, I think he came out earlier, he said how much he loves China. Do you think it's right for them to pick and choose which social issues, which, you know, very hot button issues to focus on and to bring attention to and ignore? Like, do you think it's right for them to highlight certain issues and not talk about other issues at all? 
Dude, I mean, that's a hard question, right? Like, mm. for sure, like, when it comes to domestic things or things that they personally have a connection to, you know, like, Black Lives Matter, like, um, these social issues 100%, mm. like, should be talked about, right? Sure. But for other issues, I guess in this example would be China, it's hard to really say because for them i mean obviously i don't know their personal lives but i'm mm. assuming for them china's mainly just income and marketing right they they sell jerseys they um yeah jersey sales are huge in china so sure. i guess from a like a money standpoint yeah like they're saying what they're saying because they don't want to lose that source of income and mm-hmm so it's weird because there are two different reasons why they're talking about it or bringing it up if that makes sense because mm. one is like personal but the other is financial mm. so it's it's like it does feel vain when they are praising china purely because you know it's financial mm. i don't know if that makes sense yeah i mean i mean it's a tricky line to walk um, because like you mentioned merchandise sales from their jerseys and, and let's kind of bring it back to basketball for like these athletes like LeBron that's true but for LeBron James you know he's probably into other businesses as well that have connections to China and are tied to China's growth and and Chinese investment you know maybe for production reasons maybe for you know who knows what and he does have to be careful i think he does have to be a little bit of a politician at times to protect his own estate to protect his income to protect all the different ventures he has um and i also wonder as it pertains to the nba do you think the nba kind of has a pseudo gag order for all of its players and managers and and team personnel to not really discuss these things. Oh, I don't. I I want. I want to say that it's like a unwritten rule. Mm. You know, like mm. not like when people start to speak out. You know, it especially about like very touchy sub- subjects. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it it creates division, which is not exactly what a league would want when they're just trying to you know make money <laughs> so when you divide your viewers it, it's it's very it's bad for the bad for the um what do you call it the the fine not the fine line but you know it's bad for the checkbook i guess mm. um so i want to say like yeah I'd, I'd say there's this like unwritten rule where you Will you try not to speak out about certain topics that would ultimately put like negative light onto the league mm-hmm. or the team, I guess, as well? That's very true. Um, and, and I think too often negativity is spread so easily, um, it can spread through or, or you know be caused by these social injustice issues that are happening but it can also be caused by negative reviews on songs and albums that 
fans of the SoCal DNA really appreciate. And this harkens back to an older episode where I reviewed the album Boy by, <laughs> by, by Derek's, one of Derek's favorite artists, Wreck. And yeah. I, I seem to recall I, I didn't really have the most favorable opinion of the album. I was a little bit harsh. Uh, my co-host Don had a more optimistic perspective. He liked a lot of things and he even wanted to collaborate with the producer and, and singer or whatever he does, whatever Rack does, R-A-C, Rack, however you pronounce it. So <laughs> I, I wanted to first get, uh, Derek, your take on Rack's album, because I don't think I fully got that from you. You heard our opinion, but how did you like Boy by Rack from what you remember? So, oh, wow, that's... This was, I think, a year ago, a little bit over a year ago. Um, yeah, <laughs> it's been a while. It's been a minute. It's been a while. I think for me, it was just, I, I like more ambient music, mm. you know, like, I mean, I do enjoy like bassy things or bassy songs or poppy songs. Mm. Um, but I also, I think my, if you looked at my Spotify catalog, it's like, 70 percent like more ambient more chill sure that kind of vibe so for me that album was pretty solid right Mm -hmm. it had a lot of like it was a great transition between there were songs in in the in it that like helped it flow as a whole and i I don't really i'm gonna be honest i don't really remember my like impressions of it too well now since it's been over a year um (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I think but, uh, it, it has been some time since since uh, the Wreck album review, but since then, I'm sure you've listened to a lot of different, you know, chill hop wave or, as I put it, bubblegum pop albums and, and music since <laughs> right, then. Right, right. I remember. I remember. I remember <laughs> that part. You used bubblegum pop. That that was that's a new like word that I've heard. I guess coming from you. Yeah, it it was something that that was kind of in the moment at the time. But uh, one thing that kind of stuck out to me, you know, back when you and I were, you know, sharing a lot of music, and you especially were, you know, enlightening me with a lot of this new genre of music for me. One thing you said was it, it kind of brings you to like a happy place, right? Like when you listen to it, like mentally, it it allows you to go into a zone where other music genres don't really do that for you. Does that sound about right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a great way of putting it. Um, I guess to, like, really explain it, it's like the way I see it is music that would work as a soundtrack in a movie or in a video, right, where if I were the main subject or the main character, like, or not even the main character, but if it's just, like, this B-roll of, like, something scenic, something relaxing... Or something emotional like it's a type of music you would hear in the background while that is happening mm. Mm. and and uh i think there was this one woman that you really liked as well uh it's i i for okay i'm gonna i'm gonna mock you a little bit here i think the name might have been like chelsea cutler or something like this yes but 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 yes. i just remember this one and I'm misremembering this lyric, but it was like, put your arms in my sweater. Then a dun, dun, a dun, a. Does that sound, sound right? Like there was something about like a sweater, either from her significant other or herself. And she was like in the sweater. Maybe the song was called Sweater or the album itself. I have no idea. But 
is that is that typically how she sings? Like she kind of has this, you know, this. Uh, to, what do you like about this Chelsea Cutler? How about we how about we start from there? <laughs> so I really like like her songwriting. Mm. That's really it. Like the way I don't like her lyrics aren't complicated. I guess. Mm. It, the, from judging from you know, put your arms in my sweater. Um, I don't know that song. I'm gonna be honest. I don't know if that is the song where, but her lyrics in general are pretty straightforward, and mm. it's it's gonna be what I'm gonna say is gonna be super cheesy, but it just helps me feel, you know, like an emotion. Wow! So I, I think it does a good job of that, and that's why I enjoy it a lot. And and, uh, it, and, and sorry to interject, but what what no, no, no. what emotion does it help you feel exactly? Um, I guess it depends on the song, right? Ah, some okay. of them are like. Some of them are more like happy. Some of them are more sad. Some are more like uh. um, I don't know if there's a word for it. I just maybe I just don't want it. But it's like mm. the sad emo um, romance kind of song. If ah. I don't know if that makes sense. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So so she kind of has a she she's a little versatile in what she can do, um, what she talks about her lyrics, but she kind of has a go-to right she has like a a bread and butter of this like sad emotional uh maybe sour bubblegum pop type of, type of <laughs> thing going on but um no she, she her voice was interesting for sure um and and of course she uh she she's been hitting some of the billboard top 200s recently right i think uh she had one particular song that went to like number 23 in the top 200 uh, I'm just kind of reading her Wikipedia very loosely, by the way. That's ah, okay. I was like, the reason why I know this. I was like, even <laughs> I don't know this. How do you know this, man? But but so you know, with music, it's um it's been quite some time since a lot of these artists have been touring with with live audiences. But slowly but surely, I think things are starting to open up again. And um, I I just found out about this. I was listening to the radio. There's something called Eurovision. I don't know if you know what that is. But Eurovision don't. is supposed to be like an annual celebration of sorts of European pop artists. And it's not just pop. It's like y- you got all different genres in there, I suppose. But they kind of celebrate and give awards to the best of the best. And this was the first time, I think, in, in a year or two that they had the Eurovision again. It was like the big coming back uh, of this contest or, or this competition, whatever you want to call it. And I thought, oh, wow, okay, so concerts are now going to be a thing again. And with, with America even starting to open up, uh, I think Biden said something about, you know, by June or by July, he's expecting most of America to be open back up with the restaurants, indoor dining and, you know, amusement parks almost to full capacity, so on and so forth. Um, when do you think personally you'll be comfortable going to, let's say, an indoor venue listening to music of an artist that you truly enjoy that's a great question because i actually had a ticket for a concert back last year that got moved to later this year Mm. so you know it's it's about to be june i'm the, the concert's in i think october end of october okay so you know in those four months i hope that i'm ready to go back to a like a indoor venue because mm-hmm. even now just like going out still feels wrong 
Even now? Even, though, even now? Yeah, even now. I think it's because, you know, I, I like, throughout the pandemic, I really did my best to stay in, mm. right? Like, the, the main times that I went out were to go to Costco to get groceries mm-hmm. or the couple of times I had to go into the office. But other than that, I was home for a lot of those days. Mm. So I guess I just got, like, used to the idea of staying at home or or be just being distant from other people mm. so getting ba- i'm slowly getting back you know hanging out with people going out for eat going out to eat sure slowly get used to that so maybe in four months yeah i would be ready to go back to a concert with um with other people mm. Mm. And, and i know like um it's been kind of experimental for some of these artists as well. They were trying different things. I don't know if you heard, but uh, there was some group out there where they wanted to have live audiences, but they wanted to protect them at the same time. So it was almost like every single audience member was in a bubble. They made like individual bubbles for everybody in the audience. And the music was kind of pump through the sphere like it was pumped through the bowl Whoa. itself. And, i've uh, never heard of that okay it, it was kind of it's kind of interesting and and of course like it's a spectacle just looking at the picture of it all right obviously you have the 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 crew up top on the stage um you know with their guitars and everything and they're not masked or whatever they're just performing as they usually would and then you look out in the audience and there's like a sea of these large plastic bubbles with like people of all shapes and sizes jumping like around. hamster wheels and everything it, it very much seemed like a hamster wheel everybody okay. had their own hamster wheel and they were just having a good time and i just thought it's kind of cool to see that in one way because when people really want to do something when they really want to accomplish something they find a way um even if there are these social rules or you know, rules to basically obey public health and safety standards, they find very creative ways to still do what they want. And and I found that very interesting. Um, and I'm sure there's other examples out there as well. Uh, actually, you know, you even look at like a lot of the live events for sports, um, something that's very common, they would have like screens where, you know, a fan sitting at home would be just, um, you know, streaming their live video Right, 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 right. The face cams. The face cams. That's right. How, yeah, yeah, yeah. how did you feel about the face cams? What was that like for you, just seeing that? It was a little weird, <laughs> to be honest. Um, yeah. I mean, for me, like, it was cool to see, like, the stars or, like, the older vets that, you know, retired who were there, like, Dirk mm. or... Bill Russell, just throwing that out. Yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. these sure. guys mm-hmm. who were um, in attendance, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But if, as a random fan to another random fan, <laughs> I couldn't really care less. I fully agree with you. Like, right? I, I, I'll, I actually hundred percent agree with your sentiment because it's cool to see celebrities you recognize like famous players and all that because that stands out to you it's like oh yeah hey i know that that's that's pretty cool that they're watching this game too but all the other people and especially now that they're they're more prominently featured you know like on the face cam 
when they go around the arena, like it's very clear. You get to see them. They're in their homes or they're with their families. That's cool and all for them. I mean, they get to be on TV in some respect. But do I give a damn? Do I want to see them exactly. that clearly in exactly. HD? No, not at all. Like, please shut shut it off. Like, only have the ones on with the people that I recognize. How about that? But of course, maybe it's to kind of promote that hey we're all in this together you know we care about the fans so much we want them to feel like they're still there even though physically they can't if there's a way to do it with technology we want to be inclusive and you know kudos to the nba kudos to you know all the other leagues i think um you know i've heard that the wwe did something similar with like the thunderdome in florida they just replaced everything with these large fan videos so it's cool that they tried this but i for one think that real sporting events should always have live fans it's just not the same and i i didn't realize how much i appreciated the live audience until i went through watching those clips watching those fourth quarters of you know video audiences and nobody in the stands i think as a competitor which i am not by the way i've never been an athlete in my life but for these athletes i think they also feel more motivated more lively when they see tens of thousands of people around them either booing them to death or cheering them to new life i think it gives some kind of adrenaline rush to them and oh for sure yeah and also like oh go ahead go ahead oh i was gonna say like even like playing in um what do you call those in the, the rec leagues back in college oh the intramural the intramural the intramurals yeah, there yeah, you yeah. go yeah, yeah. Like, even having audiences in that like whether it be like four or five people <laughs> and then switching that to maybe like 10 20 sure it's a whole nother ball game right you have oh yeah so like it just feels like so many eyes are on you mm. so mm. yeah it's just you hear the cheers when the other team makes it because you know i never had people cheer for me <laughs> or, or my team it was always other team that had people cheering for them oh yeah Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that makes a huge difference. So, yeah, I get what you mean. I get what you mean. And and that also begs a very interesting question. I just thought of this. Do you think the results of last year's playoffs would have been different if COVID was never a factor? Let's say you had the full arenas jam-packed for the playoffs. Would Lakers still win a championship? Or do you think, you know, history might be different? That's a good question. I mean, as a Lakers, like, Laker fan... Um, I'm gonna say it wouldn't have changed anything, mm, mm. Um, because the way I see the season playing out, the Lakers were—I wouldn't say the favorite, but they were getting hot, right? Like mm. even from the bubble, where the last like the eight or eight games prior to the playoffs, like they weren't doing so well. But if we bypass that. And just continued playing from the end of the season where we like beat the Clippers, beat the Bucks, beat some other top team. Um, we were like getting into form anyway, so I don't think it would have made a big difference. Mm, mm. Fair enough, and I think that's the the right answer to say. And coming from a Laker fan, like you are, like I am, but this season, however, I I just don't know if our Lakers can really fight tooth and nail all the way to the finish line. What does your gut tell you today? I know some games have already went down in the first round. Some injuries have happened as well. But what does your gut tell you about the Lakers' chances this year? Oh, okay. That's a... I, I hope I don't piss off, you know, like the other <laughs> diehard Laker fans. Sure. But I don't feel it this year. <sighs> I could, I, I'm happy to be wrong. I'm 
I'll gladly eat my words mm -hmm. and and be wrong, you know. Mm -hmm. But the way I see the Bucks and the Sixers playing, Utah playing, like they're just playing super well, right? And we're we're in a way scraping by against the Suns, who aren't who aren't a joke, I guess, but they're not seasoned. There, there's so many fresh playoff guys on that team. Mm -hmm. So, and plus CP3 has been injured. Not to say like, like he's like he's good. Like he's good, but he's also not like he doesn't have the best proven playoff record or track record. Um, hmm. so I don't know. It I see a very difficult path ahead of us if we do end up winning. It's gonna be a long, grueling, like six, seven game series all the way if Lakers do make it. It certainly has that feel to it this year, um, which is, quite frankly, honestly, surprising to me. Because in the offseason, if you told me we added the reigning sixth man of the year in Montrezarel, if you told me we upgraded at point guard with Dennis Schroeder, and later on we would get Andre Drummond, I would say our team improved. I would say our team got better. But I suppose due to the long injuries for both AD and LeBron. We didn't do so hot in the regular season. Um, maybe our team chemistry never really had a chance to develop like we wanted it to. And there's some question marks about Andre Drummond as well. Is he a good fit? Is he clogging up the lane? Is it better for AD to play center for the whole game? These are the questions that are circulating for the minds of Laker fans. But if you say it's a tough road for the Lakers to win it all, who do you think has the best shot to win a title this year? Ooh, I think this year it comes down to the East. Mm. You know, you have the Bucks, the Sixers, and the Nets. Mm. Like, as much as I want to hate on the Nets, like, you have three MVP, MVP caliber guys. Like, it's hard to count them out. But I'm obviously rooting against them because it feels like, you know, they're just cheating in a way to get the chip mm. um not like actual cheating but just, you know like having three mvp guys on the same team is is like unfair sure. not unfair i don't know how to really put it but you know it sucks to see as a uh as a non-nets fan for sure. um for sure but yeah i think this year the east has the best chance to make it through whichever team doesn't implode first is the one that will probably win you know Mm. You know, I was thoroughly impressed by Giannis and his Bucks for the first round this year. Uh, I don't know if you know, but me I, too. I, I yeah. guess they swept uh, Miami today. Yeah, yes, and, they did. And and uh, you know, in our little friendly competition that we have going on, none of us called Bucks and four. <laughs> like not a single person. Right. And, and and it makes sense, right? Miami, they made it all the way to the finals last year. And they were a very solid team. They retained most of the people that they had last year, you know, this season. But what do you think happened? Do you think Miami just was a one-hit wonder? Or did the Bucks actually get that much better? I think it's a mixture of both. You know, like, as much as, you know, the narrative of, like, the bubble running long and then a short offseason. Mm. Um, the, the Heat didn't feel like... I mean, with Jimmy Butler, a guy who does need rest, it is hard to carry a team again. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and also, they traded away 
a couple guys like Kelly Olenek, Olenek, Jay Crowder left, but they brought in Ariza and some other, you know, role players. And it wasn't another star. I mean, they tried with Aladipo, but he's been injured. So mm. it's like, I guess it was, wasn't meant to be in a way in a, in a league where, you know, it feels like two stars are like the minimum to make it like make it decently to like the conference finals i guess they didn't have it this year it, it so i don't want to say they're a one hit wonder mm. but it kind of does look like that i think the a lot of the narrative last year was mm-hmm. they made it through the finals because or they made it through the bubble really well because you know they're mentally tough they have this strict culture with spolstra and um pat riley that like that's been around for decades now yeah. or a decade now so I think they made it through because of that. But I don't see how they get better without a big move next year or the following years. Yeah, you know, going back to what you said about the two superstars being a prerequisite, right? Being table stakes nowadays. I actually thought they had to. I thought Bam Adebayo would be the second guy. But it turns out that Bam isn't really that caliber, at least in my opinion, he can do a lot for a team. Um, you know, he plays defense. Since he's um, kind of a smaller big, he has good lateral movement. He can cover the pick and roll but really well, the ball handler especially. Um, he can shoot a little bit. He can pass. He can rebound. But he's not quite your top-level star. And I guess, as you mentioned, Oladipo was supposed to be kind of the 1A to Jimmy Butler, but... It just didn't pan out. Um, I was one of the few people, actually, that said if Oladipo can stay healthy after getting traded to uh, Miami, they would be my dark horse pick. I was thinking they would have what it takes to maybe challenge Brooklyn. But in hindsight, and especially based on the results now, I'm glad I didn't make that bet. (laughs) I don't think it would have worked out in my favor at all. Um, It it seems like this could be the East's year. As you mentioned, we got some heavy hitters over there. Um, Philadelphia is playing really solid, too. Um, And, and of course, they have an MVP candidate in Joel Embiid. I thought that the uh, NBA did something kind of interesting this year where they announced the top three finalists for every major, you know, regular season award um, kind of at the same time. And, of course, for MVP, we have the top three being... Joel Embiid from Philadelphia. We have Stephen Curry, who has been shooting lights out at the end of the regular season um, from Golden State. And, of course, we have Nikola Jokic. Out of the three, who to you deserves the MVP this year? Ooh, for me, uh, I really want Jokic to win it. Mm. I've, you know, I've, I've been a Jokic fan for, like, the past couple years. You know, I've picked him in my fantasy team in like consecutive years you did yeah um and i i because with jamal murray's injury like he's been doing it all and he's been he's been doing it all for several years to let's be honest so i think for once i believe he should win it and but the thing with curry is like yeah he's been carrying the team because the rest of the roster isn't great like Mm. they're they're all solid players i will say but they're all very inconsistent 
Like you have Wiggins, you have Ubre, you have Jordan Poole. These guys who are, all can score, but not on a nightly basis. And then with Embiid, he's on a roster with Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons. But I think it comes down to Embiid or Jokic just because the fact that with Embiid, any game Embiid was out, Philly looked horrible. Like mm. they just they just didn't look good without him there. So he is very vital to that team, right? Which is kind of what MVP means. So I see it coming down to those two guys. But I want Jokic to win. I don't know. What do you think? You know, I, I was debating about this pretty much all season. Um, before LeBron got hurt, I was kind of thinking, you know, if LeBron can put up similar numbers like he's doing now for the entire season and the Lakers end up maybe uh, top seed in the West, I, I think it makes sense to give it to LeBron. But then he got hurt. So LeBron, to me, was eliminated from the equation. Um Chris Paul had a prolific impact on the Suns, um, going from what they were last season and in seasons past with only Devin Booker and Aiton to now with Chris Paul, they made a monumental leap. And I I know the stats don't really show it. When you look at Chris Paul's numbers, his averages, they do not stack up at all with the top three contenders. But Sometimes it's more than just about the statistics, and I really felt like Chris Paul deserved more nominations than he received this year. I was hoping to see him in the top three, even as an outside shot. Um, And in a similar vein, you know, you look at a guy like Damian Lillard. Lillard has been, in my opinion, underappreciated year after year. He carried the Blazers for a long while. As you will recall, CJ McCollum was out for quite some time, but, you know, Dame kept trucking along hitting tough shots, pouring in 30 a night. And it's just unfortunate because his team never does that great, you know? And even in the postseason, he never goes that far. So he ends up being underappreciated, even though he's carrying the team night in and night out. Out of the three that's left, I've watched some of the games where Curry was just lights out. Um, I saw the play-in games... um, you know, he was amazing there trying to will the team to a victory, but it just wasn't meant to be. Um, I I have to agree with you, man. I would say Jokic because Embiid missed too many games, man. I think if Embiid was healthy all season, I'd probably give it to him for his dominance. But Jokic played, I believe, all 72, and he was a stud, you know, top to bottom, whether you look at it from a winning perspective, a plus-minus perspective, PER, or even from fantasy basketball, he was the best of the best. Um, and, and for the MVP, you always have to strike a balance between individual play and your record, your, your team's win-loss record. For that reason, Curry, to me, is eliminated. And because, uh, okay, of, okay. because of the absence of Embiid for like a month or so, or maybe three weeks or whatever... I know it's kind of petty to say that, but I think he's eliminated as well. Jokic is the perfect balance. His team did well enough, and he played amazingly well all 72 games. Um, and they always say the best ability is availability, and I believe in that strong. Ooh, that's a good one. That's oh, a yeah, good one. for sure. And so I agree with you. I think Jokic, he deserves it. My guess would be he'll probably win it. Um, but switching gears a bit from the NBA Most Valuable Player to the Defensive Player of the Year. Of course, the finalists are Rudy Gobert, Draymond Green, and Ben Simmons. 
who do you think deserves it this year? This one's tough. That's a hard question. I don't pay too much attention to defensive player of the year, to be honest. Mm. Um, I mean, personally for me, I would say it's Matisse Thybul. I don't know if you know who that is. Yeah, but the he's, Philadelphia 76er guy. He, he's yes. great for steals. <laughs> he steals and blocks and just yeah. all-around defense. Like, that man is phenomenal. And mm. he, mm. In, my, in my heart, he is the defensive player of the year. Because the amount of blocks he's gotten, steals he's gotten, is insane. Um, so, with when it comes to the big guys, right, with Rudy Gobert... Mm-hmm. There's a he's he's obviously an impact player, right? Like he, if you go into the paint, you're probably gonna get blocked, right? Sure. Like, but at the same time, like I don't really know what Draymond does, which <laughs> sounds harsh, uh-huh. but like I understand he he passes well, he he can block some shots, he he plays some good, like he's a big body, but I don't. I've never seen him like play outstanding defense because I don't watch Warrior games, mm. and then when I do, I pay attention to Curry, right, or Thompson. I don't pay attention to Draymond. Sure, I think that's true for most of us. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Ben, I I've watched a good amount of Sixers games this year just because you know I I had a couple of those guys on my fantasy team. Sure. I did like like his impact on defense a lot. Hmm. Like, you know, he had, like, quick hands, and he was, like, he, he stayed in front of his man quite often. Um, But I out of these three guys, I'd probably say Gobert again. You know, he's feel this is a safe pick, just because I don't <laughs> know too much about defense. Sure. So I'm going to, I'll probably just say Gobert, yeah. No, it, it makes sense, too, because I think the Utah Jazz, they had the best record in the West. Um if not the whole NBA, I forget exactly who has the best in the NBA. Typically, you want to reward people who you know play well on the best team, whether it's for the MVP or for defensive player or even six men. Um, I, I kind of agree with you, though. I don't know how to gauge this contest because I don't pay attention to you know all the different statistics that go into defense like the number of deflections and you know your your on-ball defense against certain defenders uh safe pick as well for me i would say rudy gobert but this is more so because they have the best record in the west 76ers though are they the best in the east i forget exactly yeah they're the best in the east oh oh that's interesting i guess i i don't watch enough 76er basketball to know how good of a defender ben simmons is i'm sure he is i'm sure he is in the tops but for me, I know Draymond Green, he has been playing well this year relative to past seasons because Curry's been around all year, um, and that probably motivates him to stay healthy and to get in better shape and to play better defense. But like you, it's hard to kind of tell exactly how much he's influencing the game at times. Um, so let's say Rudy Gobert for me as well. They already announced some of the other awards. Um, Jordan Clarkson, I think well-deserved for NBA Sixth Man of the Year. Yeah. It was a it was a nice touch that Joe Ingles actually presented the award to him because he was Yeah, that was there. really wholesome. That was a super wholesome like thing they put together and I 100% am for it. For sure, for sure. And similarly, I think they added a nice touch to the NBA most improved player. This year it was an interesting competition between 
I suppose, early season favorite, Jeremy Grant from the Detroit Pistons. Uh, you had Michael Porter Jr., who's having a nice year all season long. And, of course, it, it was a runaway favorite by the end, Julius Randle, who surprised me for sure. I mean, you and I, both being Laker fans, we expected uh, Randle to be kind of, you know, his usual bull in a china shop. Maybe he gets 20 points, 9 rebounds a night. But I don't think either of us thought that Randall would play this well for the Knicks, right? Yeah. You know, like, it was surprising to see the number of three-pointers he started to hit. Like, mm. he, that expansion to his game, I guess, really, you know, brought it to another level. And, yeah, it's great to see, you know, like, former Lakers making it. Guys we, the Lakers drafted, you know. Mm. Unfortunately, they're not on Lakers anymore, but they're finding success in other places. Mm-hmm. So that's super cool to see. Mm. But yeah, I was I was surprised like in in yeah, surprised to see him shoot so well from distance, which I guess yeah, that definitely helped the game a lot. For sure, for sure. And they also had a nice touch to present that award to him. I think his son, I forget his son's name, but a uh, little kid you know, just uh, walked up to daddy while he was practicing with the award for most improved player. And that was a really, really sweet thing to basically present it by somebody who means so much to him, just like Ingles meant so much to Clarkson being his teammate and also a fellow six man. Um, so great, great look for the NBA there. And, and before we wrap up these uh, end of season awards, I think we do have to touch on the rookie of the year, which is interesting. Um, they named the three finalists LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, and Tyrese Halliburton. But frankly, I think you and I both believe it's a two-man competition. The question is, do you think LaMelo played enough games this year to get that Rookie of the Year award? So it's weird, right? With LaMelo, he was great, the games he played. Like, yeah. I want to say, like, not every game, obviously, but, you know, overall, mm-hmm. he played really well. For what? Um... Three, four months of the season? I'd say so, yeah. Yeah. And with Edwards, he played out of his mind the last two. Yes, yes. So it's it's hard to compare because they're not like... They weren't battling each other at the same time or mm. playing well at the same time. It was like different times of the season. So I personally would say LaMelo just because it was a longer period. And it felt like he was more important to the team Mm. as opposed to Anthony Edwards, who, like, he played phenomenally. Like, he scored so many points. Like, I think he already hit 40 points already, right? Or something like that? At least once or twice, yeah. Yeah. So, like, that's phenomenal. But um, it felt like it just came out of nowhere. (laughs) so it was more of a shock factor rather than just like a prolonged success Mm. which is why i think people are like rooting for him more just because it's a recency bias in a way Mm. but yeah i would say Lamelo. yeah and again to no surprise i fully agree with you there i think Lamelo, when he was healthy um it wasn't even a competition but that's partly due to the fact that Anthony Edwards wasn't unleashed until maybe late into the season. Yeah, but, that's uh, a great way to put it. There, there was always more hype around LaMelo to begin with. I think going back to his uh, high school days, playing with his big brothers in Chino Hills, 
Lamella was always touted to be the next great one, right? You know, with Lonzo entering the NBA, kind of becoming a disappointment and, and settling into this role where he's kind of a unique point guard. There's nobody really like him, but that's not exactly a high honor to say either. Um, and then you have Leangelo, who, you know, maybe not even worth mentioning. And then <laughs> Lamelo, to me, he can probably be, if not already, the best ball brother in the NBA. Um, he kind of reminds me, and I don't want to say cookie cutter here, but there's like this, there's like this archetype, for lack of a better word, of NBA point guards that are kind of like a Steph Curry, kind of like a Trey Young, you know, kind of like a Lillard, so to speak, that can do a little bit of everything, but primarily their score first. And LaMelo being a little bit taller than the guys I mentioned, I think he has the ability to get, you know, triple doubles every now and again, which can only help his game. Um, and I think when you when you consider all the struggles Lonzo had early on in his career with injuries and poor free throw shooting, poor three-point shooting, poor shooting in general, and you look at LaMelo in his rookie year, how big of a splash he was able to make, I think LaMelo has a chance to become an all-star, if not next year, then maybe in two years' time. And that's something I'm afraid Lonzo will Ooh. never enjoy in his career. So I, that that's, I would say that's kind of a bold statement for me. Yeah, I want to say that's a hot take. <laughs> that's a hot take. That's a hot take. That's a hot take. Especially coming from me because I, I'm, I'm typically a Lonzo apologist. Like, I, I find ways to, you know, look at the silver lining in Lonzo's game, in Lonzo's performances, even though I know he's really not that great. And he's not as great as he was hyped up to be when the Lakers drafted him. Um, I still like him, of course. I still root for him on the Pelicans. I was happy to see him stay there and not get traded. But watching LaMelo play and even watching the battle of the balls, right? I think a couple of games in the season, it was LaMelo versus Lonzo. LaMelo was just superior, man. And like almost every way, I used to say, oh, Lonzo's the better playmaker. But when you watch some of LaMelo's passes, he's pretty darn good too, you know? So You know, um, I, think it's, yeah. I think it's a little bit different now. I think... Yeah, LaMelo is a better playmaker, but Lonzo has better shooting now and better defense. I think the factor for Lonzo to get, like, to make that next step is just to stay healthy. Like, I think once he stays healthy, I think people will realize that, like, maybe he's not as hyped, like, what he... He's not as good as he hype, was hyped out to be as a rookie coming in, uh-huh. but he's still damn good. Yeah. Do you really think he's damn good, though? I, I feel like he's he's almost becoming like a, a niche player where he kind of needs the right situation for him to thrive. And, and, and because he lacks certain prerequisites of an NBA point guard, like his free throw shooting, albeit improved is substandard for an NBA starting point guard. His three-point shooting, as you discussed, it's gotten better. But do you really trust it, Derek? Do you really think it's consistent? Well, that's that's what I want to say. Like, yeah. it, We've had one one season of it. I would like to see another, like, one or two more seasons of, of solid shooting. Um, but he, I think he just has to stay healthy first. Like, that, I think that's the big key. 
Mm. And uh, I think you have you make a good point where he has to be in a right situation. Sure. But that has to be. I think that's like eighty. Like that's like ninety percent of the NBA players we have today. Because like there are only so many players that you can just throw into a situation and they'll thrive, right? Like you look at Kemba Walker, he was in a way like he was great in Charlotte, but when he got, when he got to Boston, he's not doing so hot. You know what I mean? Yeah, that, that's like, a good point. Yeah, and like there's a yeah there's a lot of guys who do well at one team and when they move to the next they're not doing so well but i think new orleans has been great for lonzo and like you're right with this free throw shooting but then you look at luca and you like think what the heck is going on there because luca's shooting three pointers at a higher rate than free throws like what that doesn't even make sense so like Mm -hmm. free throws may be poor but if you look at the rest of the impact it might in my balance, I'm not giving it like I'm not trying to excuse poor free throw shooting, but I'm just saying, like, just because it's bad doesn't mean you you can't just take away the rest of his game. Yeah, no, that's true. That's true, and and you're right that for most people in the NBA, they're not like a LeBron James where you plop them down anywhere, and they'll find a way to make the playoffs, if not win a championship. I think oftentimes you do need the right coaching situation the right, uh, you know, teammates around you to really achieve everything that you should achieve in your career. And and so maybe you're right. Maybe Lonzo, if he does stick around on the Pelicans, um, hopefully he continues to build that relationship with Zion, um, the chemistry that he already has with Brandon Ingram, with Josh Hart, and and they just continue and, and eventually make the playoffs. Because with all the young stars we talked about today, um, and we actually haven't touched on John Morant, but he's been playing amazingly well. I think we can both agree John Morant has been a sensation these playoffs, scoring 40 points multiple games, really coming out to become a, a all-star. Um, I hope to see Zion join the ranks of a John Morant, of a Devin Booker, in the sense that he'll make the playoffs and he'll dominate to some extent. Um, but time will tell. Time will tell. I think it's... Yeah, I forget that, you know, that, that you're... A- you're a pretty big Zion fan. I don't know how big, but you're a pretty big. You're the biggest Zion fan I know. But that that surprises me because I would expect most of your friends to like Zion, but that's not the case? Not really. Wow. I think it's partially uh-huh. due to the fact that there was a lot of hype around him, you know, mm-hmm. at Duke. He went to Duke, right? I'm not. I don't want to. You know. Uh. Yeah. Wrong. Sure. Let Let's say he went to do. I'll, I'll cross check really quickly. Let's see. Zion <laughs> I, I think... Duke, typing away right now as we speak. Uh. Yes, he went to Zoom. Okay. Duke. Yes, cool. Yes. Um. There's a lot of hype around him, right? And but if you look at his game, it's very much bully ball, and not much else. Mm. So, you know, like he felt, he kind of feels like a more efficient young randall does that make sense no yeah actually that's a very solid comparison early on when i first caught wind of zion i thought oh this is like a more polished and athletic randall you know right polished uh, that's a great way to put it yeah mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but like i think there needs to be more like with jaw he can take over right jaw's been doing jaw's been doing that he's been carrying the team 
to, to multiple wins. Mm. So I don't see Zion doing that because he's not a playmaker. He's kind of just like a scorer or a rebounder. But or see, it, it, I, you're, absolutely, you're absolutely right. But the part that I worry about is this. Aren't we always, you know, giving a disadvantage to big men then? Like, it, 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 if these guys are always compared to the point guards, and the point guards naturally have the ball in their hands. Nowadays, they're getting rebounds too, like Westbrook, like Ja. If you're a big man that's more power, right, that's more focused on scoring on the inside, is it just a natural disadvantage? That's a, that's a fair point. But I think it's hard to say now because in the modern NBA, we have guys like Embiid. We have guys like Jokic. Who, who, we have like guys like Sabonis who can do multiple things, like who can pass the ball very well, who can shoot at a very good clip. Mm. So it's hard to really like, j- like move the line down just for Zion, if that makes sense. Move the bar down. Yeah, no, I see what you mean. I, I see what you mean. I-, I think bigs nowadays are more versatile than they were back in the day. Maybe if Zion was around in the early 2000s, or even in the 90s, we would see him as a more prolific player. We For would, sure. We would see him more collectively as, oh yeah, he's the next big thing. He's he's totally like Shaq 2.0. But in today's NBA, it's kind of a shame because unless he shows more facets of his game over time, unless he develops a consistent, you know, uh, spot-up three-point shot, unless he develops... Uh, well, he, he, I think he's a decent playmaker, to be honest. He doesn't do it as often with, like, Alonzo and Ingram next to him. But if you remember, there was a stretch of games where Alonzo sat out this year, and the ball was in Zion's hands more, and he was getting more assists. He was getting, like, five, six, seven assists. I didn't know he could do that on a regular basis. And it kind of begs the question, maybe Zion just needs more opportunity with the ball in his hands, similar to how... Giannis was really allowed to flourish when Jason Kidd, back then being the coach of the Milwaukee Bucks, gave him the opportunity to be the point guard, right? He became point Giannis, and that caused him to like take that next step in his career and eventually win back-to-back MVPs. Um, so maybe that's, that's what's happening here. Maybe if Zion is destined to be a Pelican for life or stay here for a few years longer, the coaching staff needs to find a way to make him more of the featured playmaker on the team, to open up other facets of his game, to be comparable to the likes of Jokic, to the likes of uh, Sabonis. But man, oh man, every year I tell myself in fantasy, at the end of the season, after looking at Sabonis' stats, after looking at Jokic's stats, I'm definitely drafting these guys next year. Like, I have to. If I want to win, <laughs> if I'm trying to win, I got to get these guys. But then, stupid me, like every time the draft happens, the actual fantasy draft, I do the stupidest shit, and you know what I did this year. I drafted Devin Booker first round from like the seventh or eighth pick. Well, to be fair, if you went off bubble performance, that was kind of a decent pick. Because he was, in the bubble, he was phenomenal, right? But I think with the added addition of Chris Paul, who you mentioned earlier, it took away a lot of Booker's ball handling. Yes, it did. So, in a way, he did regress in terms of fantasy. So, yeah, it kind of sucks how that played out, but, you know, it happens. It happens. You it, just got to hope you get an earlier pick next year. You 
Fuck <laughs> nicht. You know, it's it's funny you mentioned that. There was a stretch, and I kid you not, of either two or three straight seasons where with the randomly generated selection, I ended up getting the first overall pick back-to-back-to-back seasons. And I, it was so bad starting from the second year that I actually had to, like, get you know screenshots and, and capture timestamps to show no i only generated it one time this is really random it's not me fucking around here and uh I, i'm almost relieved now whenever i don't get the number one overall pick because i feel like once you get it once or twice in a row everybody starts getting more suspicious they don't really yeah, trust yeah, yeah, that yeah. it's truly random you know well i mean as a fellow commish i do know it's random because if you go onto the page, the league page at the bottom, it does say like how many times the commission has generated the draft order. Sure. So I, I trust you 100% on that. <laughs> it's just, that. It, but it just sucks, you know, when like the guy who has the last pick gets the near bottom pick again the next season, right? And or like yeah. the guy who's had the top three pick every single year. It 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 does suck, and like every year I hope like okay. I hope when I click this button that says generate draft order mm. that it will truly be fair and everyone gets a random spot and it doesn't happen, you know, like the same, relatively the same order as last year. So, yeah, it, it, it sucks when it does come down to that, but what can we do? You know, we just go with AI and trust AI. and Yeah, you know, trusting an Allen Iverson is the right way to go. Um, but one thing I, I do have to bring up... Uh, are you thinking of making any major changes to your league in the coming season? One thing I know that was brought up, oftentimes the final week or two of the regular season is just full of these silly season players, meaning random players coming off the bench that suddenly become 40-minute-a-night consistent heavy producers because their teams are tanking, the stars are resting. It's just kind of a mess. So one of the changes I know we were both thinking of making is to curtail the end of the season by one or two weeks um but aside from that one are you thinking of maybe doing anything more experimental like uh having a keeper league or allowing let's say uh draft picks to be traded or who knows changing the scoring categories have you thought of anything wild like that um i've always wanted to try a keeper league or a dynasty league because that's when the, the the pick trading picks really comes into play right because mm. If your draft order changes every year, it doesn't really make a difference if you trade your pick because you won't know what the other person has. Sure. Um, So it doesn't really make too much sense. Mm -hmm. Um, As far as one thing that I probably will change is the uh, injured list, injured player list. Okay. Um, So this year they brought up the new feature of like injured list plus i think that was what it was called where you can put in like game time decision players or like guys who are out and swap them in yeah so they brought that in in the middle of the season which is which was annoying because we (laughs) didn't really get to implement it sure um so that probably that probably will replace the purely injured list um slots in the next season Mm. as long as they keep that feature around you know, that, that's one thing that I've been thinking about. Like, you know, this year um, in my league, I, I had the two IR spots when usually I have one, primarily for COVID reasons. And I think you, 
either had three initially or, or you also had two uh, i forget exactly yeah I, I i kept it at two okay i've had two for since last no i, I had two in the since the beginning of the season because i know in, in your league we brought it in in the middle or like <laughs> yeah, a we couple weeks in yeah yeah um i i'm not quite sure what to do for next year because i fully anticipate things to go back to normal at least in nba respects um for you know 82 games and uh all the travel restrictions are kind of now going away um are you still gonna have two ir spots or two ir plus spots um yeah so intentionally like or initially i wanted one spot to be COVID only which is hard to really regulate Uh um Mm. but so going into next season i would ideally keep it as one unless you know covid is still somehow a more prevalent thing even mm. though we have vaccines and everything sure um knocking on wood that that doesn't happen so yeah i, I would probably keep it at one mm. i think i might i might join you in that one i might go back to one i think um, it's but at the same time it's again like if in the case something does happen we can always add another spot yeah. we can't really take away a spot <laughs> that's true so i i, I do like better how, start. I, exactly i do like how yahoo allows you to add later on even mid-season that's a good plus um you know and, and uh i'd say we've had a lot of interesting additions today in terms of the commentary on the nba we've had a lot of interesting talks about even some current events with uh celebrities like uh john cena lebron james talking about you know foreign politics and whatnot um we have missed somebody on this show, though. As much as I've ragged on him, I think we have missed the D, a.k.a. Don, who's my usual co-host for the show. So in the closing minutes of this podcast, Derek, I know you were hoping to have a conversation with the D, but he is, alas, not here. But to fret not, I think next time, if you're so willing, when you're back to uh, rejoin the podcast, I'll make sure Don's around. But for now, what, what, uh, what question or... What comments would you have to make toward Don? Maybe about his performance, about his opinions, about certain topics. Uh, what what message Ooh. do you have for the D? Well, I mean, first off, you know, the podcast has been really enjoyable to listen to with you and, and Don. Oh, um, sweet of you. But there are some hot takes, man. You guys have some hot takes, whether it be basketball or football. Yeah. Because I, I listened to the Super Bowl um, Super Bowl podcast episode and oh yeah man, there were a lot of takes on there and i was like what is going on what did we say what what, what were the hot that's takes? the thing i can't really remember i mean ah. some of them had to do with tom brady and as you know i'm a tom brady fan or sure. and a, so some of the comments that you guys made i don't recall off the top of my head yeah but i i had a rebuttal or i had a comment about it oh so maybe next year Super Bowl or a playoff uh, NFL uh, season maybe I could come through and yeah we can have a talk about all that absolutely absolutely and and one thing you probably picked up very quickly uh, neither of us Don or myself do the <laughs> adequate research before the shows um, sometimes we just like talk about these topics that really we have no business talking about and it, it even got to a point where we were talking about the nfl maybe as part of that episode or a different one uh don thought there were like 
uh, 30 teams or, or fewer yes, teams. That was one of those. That was, that one, was one of those. <laughs> that was one of those. I was like, <laughs> something's wrong here. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, and, and <laughs> so, you know, we have a lot of those moments where we say certain things. And this is kind of a message to the greater audience of the SoCal DNA podcast. I know we probably piss you off from some time to time with our ignorance, with just our buffoonery. But the way I look at it, it's really two people who are trying their best using the limited information or misinformation that they have to come up with points, to come up with arguments, and just battle, battle against each other. It does make it very entertaining. I'll say that. It's very entertaining. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And well, I hope, Derek, you had a swell time today catching up a little bit talking about the nba just shooting the breeze and we hope to have you back sometime in the future whenever you're interested to the socal dna did you have a good time today yeah it's great i appreciate it it's my first podcast you know i've never done one of these before it does just feel like a conversation which i enjoy that aspect of um so yeah i appreciate you having me Thank you, thank you. And that's what we strive for whenever we have a guest on the show. And we've had several so far. Very fortunately, uh, people have been nice enough to us. Our friends have been nice enough to us to basically join the show. But uh, it's been a blast, and it's always great catching up with you, DZ. Uh, Tremendous congratulations for the success that you had in fantasy basketball. And your opinions of basketball and all things in life are very much respected here on the show and and of course personally with me so thank you so much for joining i wish you nothing but the best in 2021 and until next time my friends this is the a from socal dna signing off take care